0: Caleb, would you look in my backpack there and see if there's a book in it? If so, would you bring that to me, please? That's it. When, when Philip prayed for me, he said something about um, help Scott to bring the message or whatever. I really thought he was getting ready to say, help Scott bring the thunder. And I thought, hey, that'll work. I think that'll work. If uh, God would help me to bring the thunder, that'd be great. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, let me point out a couple of, uh, chapter 10 rather, let me point out a couple of things. Paul begins by talking about himself and he's trying to figure out, or not figure out, he's trying to explain his authority as an apostle. So that's that theme runs through the chapter. And at first it feels like that's sort of the... Um, The main message, he's defending his apostolic authority. So he does that for a while. He talks about, um, I think he's being a little bit um, sarcastic uh, at first when he says, uh, on purpose. He says, oh, I'm humble when face to face, but um, bold when I'm away from you. And so apparently I think someone's saying, hey, oh, Paul sure is bold when he's writing letters from a distance. But in person, he's he's kind of a softy. And I think Paul is responding to that and he goes, oh, you'll see when I show up, uh, I'll be just as firm when I'm with you as I am when I'm writing my letters. And so somehow because he was way away, I think there were some critics in Corinth who were trying to sort of get, put themselves in position of authority and Paul was responding to that. And he's like, no, no. I'll be the same guy when I'm with you as in my letters. And those who knew Paul knew that he would be exactly that. And then he talks about kind of defending his um, the reason that he's an apostle. And he goes on and he um, throughout this thing, he talks a little bit about uh, his role. And I think it's because there were people who were trying to undermine the work of God, which is always taking place. I also think it's interesting that throughout Paul's letters, there's several points and times where he has to defend his authority. And it's like, man, why, why does he keep doing that? Why does he keep doing that? You know, if you step back and you think about it, it's pretty obvious. It's because he was writing the Word of God. And from the day God spoke in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Satan has been attacking the Word of God. And therefore, Satan wants to attack Paul even as he's writing the New Testament. If he can attack and undermine Paul's apostolic authority or all the authority of the apostles, then he's attacking the Word of God. So when you step back and you think about it, it makes perfect sense why Paul has to defend that. And he is in process of giving us the Word of God while they're living out the New Testament. Remember when Jesus left, all they had was the Old Testament. And Jesus said, I will give you the New Testament through uh, apostolic authority and by the Holy Spirit, of course. And so Paul has to defend, well, who are the messengers of God? And if if he had not taken that stand, we wouldn't have this book. We wouldn't know, well... What is the authoritative Word of God? So I want you to appreciate I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, even though a lot of the chapter talks about this. I just want to say, why does Paul spend so much time on this? Because we need to know what is the authoritative Word of God. So he was taking his stand for us so that when we read Paul's letters, we're not going, hmm, I think I only like what Jesus said in the Gospels. And you have this thing that's done even to our day, of, well, I choose Jesus over Paul. That's a false dichotomy. It's the Word of God given to us from the Bible. So I just want to clear that up. And then as you're going through, there's another thing that seems to be um, really front and center. And it's where I'm going to focus my attention. But I just kind of want to, I want you to see how this fits. Uh, then he gets to verses 3 through 5. And he's defending the authority of the Word of God, and then he moves into verses 3 through 5, and he starts talking about that topic of spiritual warfare. And at first glance, it seems like the primary topic in the chapter is defending Paul's authority in the Word of God. Then it looks like, well, maybe his primary chapter or emphasis is spiritual warfare, but I really think his primary emphasis is a little verse tucked in the, toward the end of the chapter. And he says, um, so that we may preach the gospel. That we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. It sounds a little bit like the Great Commission, doesn't it? So it sounds like the Great Commission is what's on Paul's heart. But he's standing, that's, if you step back and you look, that's why he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. That's why he was commissioned by God, was to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Step back and you see the great commission. But when you dig in, then you go, well, we wouldn't be able to carry out the great commission without the authoritative word of God. So we're thankful for him doing that. And neither would we be able to carry out the great commission if we don't understand the nature of the war we're in. Okay, so the Great Commission is the primary key to understanding this. But now we need to talk about verses 3 to 5. What is spiritual warfare? And are we in it? And do we understand it? So at least you now know spiritual warfare. We need to talk about spiritual warfare in the context of carrying out the gospel. You get that? Very important. Okay, so I have this really good book. Um, I've got several books, and my list is ever-growing. This is a book by Chip Ingram on the Invisible War, Um, What Every Believer Needs to Know About Satan, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare. Wait, you mean Christians need to know about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare? I thought it was just, uh, you know... Potluck dinners and um, VBS. Well, no potluck dinners are good and VBS is great. But it's because we're in a spiritual war. Okay, so in the very opening of this book, uh, I read this book. I mark things when I read them. I even date them, so I like to kind of go back and know. Um, so in, in, in March of 2020... Um, seems like we were in the middle of something. And y'all remember anything going on in our country or anything? So we were in the middle of a spiritual war. This book sat on my shelf for a long time, as many of my books do. But sometimes I, I purchase books. I know I want to get to them. But sometimes I just know, I, okay, I've got my stack to read is big like yours probably. Um but eventually I, I just, I comb my shelves sometimes and I look and go, mm, I haven't read that. I need to get that one. Or I need to reread that one. So in March of 2020, I pulled this book. But I don't know how long i had had it on my shelf, but I pulled it off, began to read. And one of the first things I read in there was in the intro. And he's um, Chip Ingram. If you don't know who Chip Ingram is, he's like, a, he's an older gentleman. Like he's probably older than I am. Um, whoa, um, and he uh, he's a very popular Christian speaker. He speaks to a pretty broad audience, um, from Charismatics to um, Baptists to Presbyterians to whatever. He's got a pretty broad audience. He's a pretty well-known speaker and respected. And so he writes this book, and... Uh, I read this and I underlined it, and then I thought about it when I was preparing for this. He was getting ready to move from one location, I think in Texas to California, to um, Santa Cruz, California. He was getting ready to move there. And a guy that prayed for him said, came up to him, a guy who, he said he had a very dear friend who would pray and fast for him and his ministry. And a guy came up to him and said this, I have the strongest impression from the Lord that you need to prepare yourself for a whole new level of spiritual warfare. I believe God is going to use you in a very significant way, but you will experience spiritual opposition like you've never known before. You need to get ready for the battle. Now this is a guy who had already been doing faithful ministry. You need to prepare yourself for a whole new level of spiritual warfare. What if that was a message of God to us and our church? Would some of you say, "Whoa, it's time to find a new church. Would some of you go, no, I'm... I was looking for church to me supposed to be a safe place, not a war room. A church. I kind of wanted church to... I just want a little dab of religion, you know. Or did you sign up to be a soldier in the army of God? What is your understanding of Christianity is the real question. So I want to go back to verses 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh... <clears throat> We are not waging war according to the flesh. We walk in the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh. That's an acknowledgment. We walk in the flesh. We're not waging war according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, though we live our lives in the physical realm. That's, when, that's kind of what the summary is. Though we walk in this world, though we walk in this temporal, physical world, we do our flesh, our body. It's referring to our physical presence. Though we are physically present in a physical realm, we are not waging war according to the flesh or the physical realm. Though we're here, there's more to this. Though we are physical beings... We're in a spiritual war. Though we have bodies, there's a spiritual reality. And it's actually bigger than the wars of this world. The wars of this world are huge and ongoing. And we're always afraid of war. We have soldiers to fight this world's wars. Jesus has soldiers to fight the greater war, the great war. Though we, let me paraphrase, though we walk about and live our lives in this temporal physical world, in our temporal physical bodies, we are engaged in the great war, which is taking place with etern- in this, within the eternal spiritual realm and has eternal consequences. Wake up, soldiers, grab your weapons, and run towards the battle. That's really what the call of Christianity is. Wake up and run towards the battle. Um, there's a book, another book that I have that I read, and I thought of this book too, and I was thinking of this topic. And some of you may be familiar with it. It's like a, a classic, uh, like really old classic. And it was written by Augustine of Hippo. Augustine lived, um, he lived from 354 to 430 AD, just a couple of centuries past the uh, um, Christianity and the spread of Christianity. And Augustine um, wrote this book called The City of God. Another way that we might think of it, we would probably use the term the kingdom of God. But he wrote this about the city of God and he was referring to the kingdom of God. And let me read kind of a summary of this book. Augustine presents human history as a conflict between the earthly city, the city of man, or Satan's kingdom, and the city of God, or God's kingdom, a conflict that is destined to end in victory for Jesus, the great king. So we're involved in a war between two kingdoms, and the ultimate victor is King Jesus. You excited about that part? We are on the winning side. If you're here and you're a Christian, then we're on the winning side. And if you're here and you're considering Christianity, we're inviting you to come join us. We truly believe in our hearts that we're on the winning side. Even though it doesn't look like it. We know that. We had the same perspective. Okay. The city of God is marked by people who forego earthly pleasure to dedicate themselves to the eternal truths of God now revealed fully in the Christian faith. Now let me point out a great error in Christianity, uh, in, in Christian circles. Sometimes people view salvation as a means to a deeper enjoyment of this world. Like God is like a lucky charm, and everything will go well, and they believe you will prosper and have all these things. But according to what Augustine was writing about, a theme of his book is that the people of God in the kingdom of God are people who are willing to forego earthly pleasures and not use God as a means to earthly pleasures. That's like backwards. The earthly city, on the other hand, consists of people who have immersed themselves in the cares and pleasures of this present passing world. Augustine's thesis depicts the history of the world as a universal warfare between God and the devil. And is that how you view the world? In this world, let's say the world is the chessboard, and we're pieces. And you step back and you go, wow, there's actually two minds operating off the chessboard. But the thing about us is we know who is going to ultimately win. And the king of this world has a little throne. And the kingdom of God has a throne. And God, the devil keeps moving and God checks all his moves. And eventually, all of a sudden, God's going to say, checkmate. it's over. And so that's kind of a picture. In this war, God moves by divine intervention those governments, political, ideological movements, and even military forces in order to oppose by all means in order to bring the ultimate downfall of the devil and the city of man. Um, you remember the book Pilgrim Progress? I mentioned it a lot. And in Pilgrim Progress is the story of the guy named Pilgrim. He's a pilgrim journeying for God and He's running from suddenly, he suddenly awakened one day, spiritually awakened to the fact that the city where he lived was called the city of destruction. And he started running from the city of destruction. He spent his whole life, and everyone's like crazy. It's like they saw the city of destruction as the place where they wanted to live. They didn't think of it as a city of destruction. They thought of the world as the place where they could have all their fun, like at Vanity Fair and all these places they saw along the way. They're thinking, wow, I love the city of the world. And he's like going, no, it's a city of destruction. Run for your life. And he started running towards the cross. That's the whole story of Pilgrim's Progress. He's running toward the cross, and he knows he's got to get there, but he doesn't exactly know how to get there, and he's just running toward the cross. But it's based upon the idea that the city where he lived is being destroyed. And suddenly he awakens and wants to run after. He sees hope, but he just doesn't quite know how to get there, and along the way he meets people, and one of the people he meets is evangelist, and he meets other people, and they point him, and he goes through these different... um, Pitfalls and trials and struggles, but eventually he ends up at the cross, and there his load of all his sins comes off, and he's delivered from the city of destruction, and he it becomes a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's this beautiful picture of his struggle to get away from the city of destruction. And, and I just want to ask you is that your grid? Is that how you view this world? That's how Paul was viewing this world. And that's why Paul was saying, I I know we live in this world. I know we have bodies. But let me tell you what's really going on. What's really going on is a great war. And most people don't see that. They just like, don't bring warfare and unpleasantries into my mind. I just give me a couple of good uh, Bible verses, maybe some great VBS experiences. And that's all I want. And God's like, no, you need to understand there's a war going on and you're in it. And it's like a light goes off. And so I'm hoping all I want to do this morning, the primary thing I want to do this morning is I want the light to go off. Some of you are already there. You're already there. You already believe this. You understand it. You're like frustrated that other people don't see it. And you're like going, wake up, wake up church, wake up world. We're in a war and there's casualties and it's not all fun and games. It's okay to have fun and games, but it's not all fun and games. I know we live in this world. There's nothing wrong with the many things. As a matter of fact, we need to be thankful for what God gives us to enjoy. We don't turn everything into sour and Christians are just miserable little creatures. We have joy in our hearts, even in this world, because we understand that there's something bigger and better. So we live in this world and by God's grace, we live it joyfully because we now understand why we're here. I look at God's creation very differently. I now look at God's creation as reflections of His own glory. I eat wonderful food and enjoy it actually more than I used to because now I see it as a gift from my Father. And now I not only see that my taste buds are delighted, my soul is delighted. So it's changed the whole way. But I never forget that in the midst of God's goodness and in the blessing of being in the place where you and I were born is not the common experiences of people and Christians around the world, your experience is vastly different than the experience of most Christians in this world. I hope you understand. If ever there was a playground, we're in it. Because the battlefield is very harsh and real in many places. But I think the, uh, the glitter of the playground is being bulldozed over as we live. And now it's starting to feel a little bit more like the war zone that it actually is. And many Christians are awakening to a level of spiritual alertness and awareness that is sort of new to many people. And so I pray that our church is awakening to a greater level of spiritual reality. And so this morning... That's what I want you to primarily focus upon. Let me tell you my strategy. My strategy will be today and next Sunday, I just want to talk about these verses. I'm coming back to chapter 10 and these three verses I want to look at a little bit more. And then I'm going away for a month. (laughs) But I'm going away for a month. There's something that's called a sabbatical. And it's not, just so you know, it's not a month vacation. It's a time to pursue God. It's my primary thing. I'm sure I'll do some fun things. I've even got some fun things planned. But my primary emphasis, and the reason that the elders have encouraged me to do this, is to pursue God for our church and his direction, and his leadership. How are we to engage in this invisible war? That's the the catalyst behind that. And in God's timing, plunk, here we are. Okay? His amazing timing. Next week I'm going to talk about it. I'll be gone for a month. My desire is to come back and finish 2 Corinthians. And then after that, we're going to do a series on spiritual warfare. That's our strategy. Okay, we're going to finish. There's some good stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and wrap up so that we will then have a series going into the fall on spiritual warfare. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but obviously it's going to include Ephesians chapter 6. Obviously it's going to take a look at warfare in the Bible. I don't really know where it's all going to go. I just know that you're going with me. And we'll get there together. And where we go might have a lot to do with how God speaks to us in the process. As God begins to work and awaken our hearts and minds to think, what does spiritual warfare look like? What are these strongholds we're talking about in this passage? Let's look again. And I just want you to start digging into these verses. I would love it if every person memorized these three verses. And every person pondered these three verses and every person began to meditate these three verses. And every person is going, Lord, how do I apply this to the life of our church in this day in which we live? And so let me go back to these, these words. <clears throat> Though we walk in the flesh, that means we're alive in this world. We are not waging war according to the flesh. We, we are waging war. It does not say, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war. Oh, we're waging war, just not according to the flesh. The U.S. military is concerned about China's military and Russian military, and they're concerned about the U.S. military, and Israel is concerned about the Iranians' um, Hezbollah, um, there are religious armies. And that's war in the world. But there is a spiritual war and we are soldiers. Every Christian is a part of the spiritual warfare. We sign up for this war when we commit our lives to Jesus. And then he said... We are not waging war according to the flesh. There is a war going on according to the flesh. But we want to get under that war or above that war, both. We want to understand what is going on, Lord. And then it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. There are weapons. We have weapons. The weapons of our warfare, there are weapons designed for the war that we're in. And we need to know what are these weapons and are we using them and are we skillful with them and are we engaging and equipping and putting on this, these weapons that God has given to us. And of course the, the classic passage is Ephesians 6, but the whole Bible describes the warfare at different phases and periods in the history of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. We have this unfolding of the war. And believe me, as we near the end, the intensity is elevating. Do anyone believe that or even feel that? Do you see that? that? The war is elevating and we need to know what is going on. What are our weapons, Lord? Because there are casualties and there are... Um, serious things going on. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power. There are weapons divinely appointed by God to do battle. There are weapons that God has that equip us to do war successfully in His name. To promote his good cause and his kingdom, to destroy strongholds. A stronghold is a, a fortress, a, um, a center of power, a base. Um, The enemy has strongholds. The enemy has fortresses. I'm sure you've heard of missionaries who go to certain locations in the world and they feel like Satan has such a grip on this community or this area or this country. You hear people talk about dark places. You've heard of the um, 1040 window. You've heard of countries that just seem to be Eaten up with occult and demonic activities. There are cities in our nation that are known. If you're not into spiritual things, and if you were a satanic, if you were a satanic worshiper, you would know exactly what was going on you would know and say, no, we have a powerful hold in this city, in this city. We have powerful forces in this town, in this community. I was reading, and do you know that if I was, if I was a worshiper of Satan, I would understand, this is going to shock some of you. I would understand that Boulder, Colorado, Colorado, not Colorado. Boulder, Colorado is like a center. Of, of cultic and demonic activity? I never knew that. It's like there are locations that most people think, what a great vacation spot. What a beautiful place. And there are things happening in places that you have no mind what's going on. You have no idea what is happening, going on. There are places. If you see a city that is full of sin, our kids are going to New Orleans. You can't tell me that there is not a stronghold there. San Francisco, any big city, there are strongholds in Jackson County, my friends. There are neighborhoods. There are streets. There are little cubby holes that drug dealers, prostitution, pornography, pedophilia, sex trafficking is going on and they are strongholds and you can even feel the presence of wickedness if you are aware to spiritual things. There are places you can go in our community that you will get there and you go, something is not right. Something is oppressive. Something is demonic. Something evil is taking place next door. Have you ever lived next to drug dealers? You've been in an apartment and you hear what's going on, and you see the traffic in and out, and you're like watching, have you ever been a policeman in this county? you ever talked to a policeman? you ever talked to anyone that worked on the, on the drug force? you ever talked to anybody who's constantly arresting people? Where do they go? There are places they know they're going to spend a lot of time because there's a stronghold. And this is the kind of warfare we're talking about, and we cannot afford to be derelict or ignorant. Or indifferent. We are called of God to fight with His weapons against these strongholds. And there is nothing but the power of Jesus that can bring down these strongholds. We will not see progress unless we are on our faces before God learning how to summon the spiritual equipment that He gives to us. And honestly, I don't know if you're ready or not. And I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm ready or not. I just want to pray and say, Lord, make me ready. You lead. You guide. You show us. Okay? And I want to close with this thought. I want, it's, it's pretty simple. The, the main thing I want you to think about, is, think about it, is pretty simple. There's a war going on, and do you see yourself as being in it? Obviously, the question begs, which side are you on? And are you willing to fight for His honor? Are we willing to fight for the honor of our King or not? and then I give you with this great word. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. Okay, we've been doing something at the end of our services, and we're asking people to call upon God, and we're now going to close with music, but as we pray, I just want you to do what God directs you to do. I want everyone to go ahead and stand. But we're going to have a time of singing. If you want to praise God, praise. If you want to pause in the middle of it, if there's something you want to bring to God, we have a place up here. Some people enjoy praying at these Benches, some people like to come to the first row and just sit and pray and seek God. Some person might want to turn to another person. I would encourage you, if you're around someone that believes in this spiritual warfare, then you turn to them right now and say, Lord God, will you lead us forward as a church of Jesus Christ? Will you turn and pray? Will we call upon God, praise God, and pray to God, and then ask God just to show you, like, Lord God, what are we supposed to do? Will you lead us? We don't want to be derelict. We want to be in the game. We want to be... Father, we want to see your name and your honor go forward, but it's not going to go forward without cost. And the real question is, Lord, help us to be willing to be engaged and involved. And that is our prayer. I just want you to pray that. And if you today, and you've been on the wrong side of this thing, that I would like to invite you to have a new Lord and Master over your life. I would like for you to call upon King Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I've been in the battle. I see casualties around me. I am a casualty right now. I call upon you in the name of Jesus. Will you please set me free from Satan's domain? He's been tricking me, fooling me, leading me, guiding me, but I'm fooled no more. I want to change sides. I want to come over to your side. Will you help me? I've got lots of problems, addictions, messes, sins, past struggles, past heartache, but I just need you, Lord God. I won't end this. I won't end this so badly. I just need you to lead, God. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior and lead me forward. If that's where you start, then that's what you do today. But I just ask you to pray, and I pray that there would be some praying going on, okay? Call upon God and ask Him that we would be an engaged people in this great battle. In Jesus' name. I want to begin by explaining a little bit of the context, and then I want to focus in on something more specific. So Paul's writing this letter, 2 Corinthians. um, And one of the things you find if you read Paul a lot, that he's defending his um, role, his responsibility, his job, uh, his apostolic authority. And there were people pushing back against that. So you have a church over in Corinth uh, you have the church beginning in Jerusalem, around the Mediterranean Sea, over here in Corinth, and Corinth was a, a wealthy city, uh, a, a very a Greek culture, very Greek in its culture, um, very sinful, known for their sin. It was like very sexual, um, a lot of um, temples and um, worshiping false gods, and so these these new Christians they become Christians. And they have a new church there, and they're fairly young, and these other groups are coming in, and they kind of want to take the leadership because Paul was there for a while, then he goes away, and when he goes away, there's people that kind of want to be the leaders. So he's constantly having to defend his his leadership. At first glance, it looks like that's the most important thing in this chapter. Um, my My heading over my um, Bible my copy here says Paul defends his ministry it looks like that's the most of that chapters taken up with that so you would assume well that's the most important thing um, he talks about um he's verse two verse one he says um I'm humble when I'm face to face with you but Bold toward you went away. So apparently some people were accusing Paul of being like, oh, yeah, he sure is nice when he's here and friendly and laid back. And he writes these really hard letters. And he's like, oh, Mr. Authority over here with his letter. And I, Paul is basically saying, look, I'm the same. When I come back, you'll see I'll confront these same issues. So he was very consistent. Um. Then he goes on later and he talks about um, spiritual warfare, spiritual authority. Then he moves on to the next verses. Again, he's back to the same, the other topic of, um, like in verse 11, it says, such a person understands that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Like Paul saying, hey, when I come, I'm going to address these same issues. He's been dealing with some pretty tricky stuff, pretty messy stuff in his letters. And then he talks about boasting. And he says, I really want to boast about isn't myself or my ministry. I want to boast in the Lord. Let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For the not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. So he at the end of the chapter, he says, okay, it's not about um, leaders who... Exalt themselves, put themselves, kind of putting themselves in front of leadership. Okay, so there's one idea. This chapter is about Paul's apostolic authority. There's another idea. All right, verses 3 to 6. So this chapter is about uh, spiritual warfare. Okay, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So it's about spiritual warfare. Um, There's another idea that helps us piece together the whole chapter. It's kind of subtle. It's kind of hidden. You probably wouldn't notice. It doesn't even feel like it's central. But everything hinges upon this. Verse 16, all of this is so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Everything's focused on the missionary movement. And that's why Paul's apostolic authority mattered. We can't have a missionary movement without the Word of God. They needed the New Testament. Paul's authority was the one who was writing. He was in the real-time writing the Bible. And if they could have effectively dismissed Paul as not being a true apostle, we would not have our New Testaments. So that's why he vigorously defended his authority as one sent from God so that we could clearly have the right Scriptures. The New Testament. That's why Paul was so offending. So you and I can so easily pick up our New Testament and read. You and I know what is the Word of God. And it's because Paul and the other early Christians defended the New Testament. You and I would not know how to do this without this book. The whole book. We are so blessed that we have more than just Genesis to Malachi. The other 27 books, the New Testament... Paul fought and labored. We're still fighting for our Bibles. There's still people that attack the Bible. The Bible has been under attack from Genesis 1. Or Genesis 3, rather. As soon as in the Garden of Eden, Satan began to assault the Word of God and says, well, God didn't say. And we have people saying, that's not the Bible. So, aren't you glad that Paul made a big deal about who were the people that were going to be used of God to give us the finished product, the New Testament authors under divine authority of the apostolic ministry. Thankful for our whole Bible. Secondly, I want to point out that it's the great commission that motivated Paul. People need to be saved. And that's why Paul fought for this book. Paul didn't go, I'm saved and I don't care about anybody else. He could have done that. A lot of Christians do that. A lot of Christians, their whole life is focused on themselves. It's like, well, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. There are a lot of Christians, that's just the way they live the Christian life. It's all about themselves where they go to church, what music they like, what books they read. Don't bother me with the work of the gospel. I'm saved and I'm glad I'm not going to hell. And the New Testament does not allow that mindset that is contrary to being a Christian. Christians who don't care about the lost are not being, being biblical Christians. And too often, a lot of Christians don't act like they care about lost people. And therefore, when Paul comes to the end of everything he wants to say in all of his letters, it goes back to what is said in verse 16, that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you or in places where the gospel hasn't been preached. That's why we're going to New Orleans. That's why we have a group going to Slovenia. That's why we have a missionary in Slovenia. That's why we're going to the Dominican Republic. That's why we go to Guatemala. That's why I spent yesterday with a dear friend of mine from seminary who is from India, grew up in India. India. I met him years ago. He's from a little country or little place called Nagaland up near Burma or Myanmar. And I spent my day with him and I love to hear what God is doing. And my heart, I loved him. He's a dear friend of mine. Every time he comes to the States, he calls me and says, can we meet up? So I, I meet with him. And we're friends because the gospel needs to reach the people of Nagaland. And because the gospel needs to reach the world. That is why we are here. That's why we exist as a church of Jesus Christ. In the middle of that passage. Which is part of the word of God. Which is designed to propel the mission of God. So that lost people like you and me were once lost. Praise God someone came to us. And in the midst of this gospel venture. Paul says, you need to know about spiritual warfare. And so that's the focus of what I'm going to focus on today. And that's what the focus I'm going to focus on next Sunday. For two Sundays, we're going to talk about this. And then I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm going to be gone during the month of July. And for the second time over my 17 years here, the church and the church leaders have encouraged me to take something of a sabbatical. Now let me explain to you, for, for some of you don't know, what a sabbatical looks like for a minister. It's not necessarily just a vacation. My purpose isn't, and I appreciate, I love you, uh, I've told some of you where I'm going and someone goes, oh, you need to go here and you need to go there and you need to go this. I'm going to Tampa for most of the time just because God has provided a place for me to go there. And so I'll spend most of my time there. It's like, oh, you need to go do this. That's fine. I'll probably do some, I know I'll do some fun things. But my primary reason isn't to go do all those things. It's to find a place to get away and hear God. That's my goal. That's what a sabbatical looks like for a minister. It is restful in one sense, because I'm away from the place that I labor. But it's intentional in another sense because I want to hear from God and meet with God and have the freedom to seek God in a way that I don't generally have that opportunity to do. It's a blessing. It's a gift from God, giving to me, from God primarily, but also from you as the church. I hope that you will be the beneficiaries of my time with God. I want to be the beneficiary. I hope it will be a blessing to the church. The leaders in the church were determined that I do this. And they said, we will all be the beneficiaries if you meet with God and God speaks to us. I said, okay, great. Because they kind of knew I was reluctant. It's like, well, not everybody gets to do this. And they said, well, we feel you need to do this. And so I'm doing it. And then when I get back, my goal is to finish 2 Corinthians. We're already at 2 We're going through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's three chapters left. We're going to finish those three chapters. And... I think maybe, I'm not sure, I think maybe I can do that in August. It depends. Those chapters, um, I think I can wrap those up a little differently than the earlier chapters. Some chapters, you know, when we got to 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 12 to 14, I camped a while and we did a long series on spiritual gifts. And hopefully you didn't get too worn out with that. And then when we come to the this chapter, I'm going to do two sermons on verses 3, chapter 10, 3 to 6. Finish the chapter, the finish of Second 2 Corinthians, and I'm coming back to that and we're going to do a series on spiritual warfare. That's what we're going to do when I get back. Or after maybe the beginning of the school year, when I finish 2 Corinthians. So just so you know, and the reason I tell you that is because it's going to involve you. Let me read from this book. There's a lot of good resources. This is one of many. This sat on my shelves for a while. But back in, this was there for a couple of years probably. And I pulled it out in March of of 2020. Was there anything going on in 2020 and 2019 that was weird? Did it feel like spiritual warfare to you? Well, that's why I picked this book up. I was like, man, I need to read that book. And it just seemed like the time was right. The title says what every believer, it's called the invisible war. What every believer needs to know about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. The invisible war, that's right. What every believer needs, every believer, what every believer, how many believers? Every believer needs to know about Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. And somebody said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Well, we're going to hear Um. So let me read, I read this and I remembered this as I was doing this sermon this week and I went back and I I started looking at this and I thought this will be something, we'll get copies of this and they'll be available to you as we go into this series. And there may be other books. I'm not claiming that this is the only book. This is a very good book. Uh, Chip Ingram is a widely known biblical teacher. He's been teaching the Word of God for, I don't know, could be 40 years. I don't know, it's been a long time. He's been a very popular and well-known speaker. I really like what he says. There's some people that have some other things to say that I also think are needful in, as we go into this. But I, I read this. and I underlined it the first time I read it back in March of 2020. He's getting ready to move from one church to another and he has a brother in the church where he was in Texas and he was getting ready to move to Santa Cruz, California. And this this brother who prayed for him and even set aside time to fast and pray for his church, for his friend who was a pastor. I don't know if he was in his church or not. And he came up to him and said, Chip, you're entering a new era in your ministry. And here's the words that I underlined and highlighted. I have the strongest impression from the Lord that you need to prepare yourself for a whole new level of spiritual warfare. I believe God is going to use you in a very significant way, but you will experience spiritual opposition like you've never known before. You need to get ready for the battle. And I underlined it, highlighted it, and put a star by it. That's three times I thought it was pretty important. So I want to ask you a question. What if that was a message for our church? Let me reframe that. Is this a message for our church? What if this is the message for our church? I have the strongest impression from the Lord that you need to prepare yourself for a whole new level of spiritual warfare. I believe God is going to use you in a very significant way, but you will experience spiritual opposition like you've never known before. You need to get ready for the battle. So, I think this is a message of God to us. Are you ready or you need to find another church? If you need to find another church, that's fine. But this is what we're going to do. Okay? Um, So let me read the verses again that we're going to focus on. Three to six. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, the word walk in Christianity, in the Bible, is often a metaphor to describe the Christian life. Your walk, how is your walk? People aren't asking what kind of gait you have when you walk. They're not asking if you can moonwalk. They're not asking if you walk fast or walk slow. When a Christian says, how is your walk? They're meaning, how is your relationship to God going? How are you living out or walking out the Christian faith? We walk in the flesh, we live in the flesh, we live out our life in the flesh. As we live out our life in the natural realm, in the flesh. The flesh means the physical world, the physical realm, our natural physical bodies. We walk in the flesh, we live in this world, true. But we are not waging war according to the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. It doesn't say we are not waging war. We are waging war. There is a spiritual war taking place. It's even taking place right now in this room. There is a spiritual war taking place where Satan is trying to divert your attention from the Word of God. Right now, Satan is trying to keep you from hearing the Word of God. The war goes on everywhere all the time. And we are in a war, but it's not a war of the natural realm. There is a spiritual war in the spiritual realm. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. There's another kind of war going on. We turn on the news and the news is about worldly wars. But as Christians, we're interested in another layer of warfare considered spiritual warfare. And we are told the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So there are weapons available to us. Not Uzis and machine guns and nukes. We have weapons that are spiritual. And we're going to talk about these but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There is the power of God that can destroy strongholds. Strongholds that you cannot destroy. Things can get a hold of you that you do not have the power in and of yourself to destroy. Things can grab your attention and be so powerful that you don't have the strength and the power to break that hold on you. It's a very strong hold. And there is a warfare in which someone is trying to hold you down. Someone is trying to destroy your life. Someone wants to keep you on the natural level pursuing this world its pleasures. There's someone who wants to tie you to this world whether you willfully seek pleasures in this world, or then here's where pleasure moves you. Pleasure always starts pleasurable and moves you towards a path of destruction because there is nothing to sustain you in this world. So pleasure comes all dressed up, looking good, making promises, and it begins to pull you like a vortex down a pipe and sucking you down and it feels good up top. Up around the rim, it's really pretty. It looks like it's life-giving. And around the rim, you walk around and you pluck something. Then you grab something else and you get a little more and you start living around the rim until all of a sudden something pulls you. And it goes deeper and it's still looking pretty good around up top. And you're still thinking, I can get out when I want to. But you're in the vortex and you're starting to get sucked into the world and its system. And before you know it, your life starts unraveling. And the further you get from the rim and you start going down and you start realizing, I'm powerless. I can't fix this. I need help. And sometimes people don't even call for help. They're still going down the vortex. They're still getting sucked in with... Alcohol, or drugs or sexual relationships or pornography. It looked innocent up here around the room. It starts sucking you down and you're getting sucked and you're getting pulled by the ankle down into a life of self-destruction. And you think you're okay. You think you can reach the rim. You think you can pull yourself out. Only the power of God can deliver you once you slide off the rim and start down the vortex. You need mighty, awesome power Or you're going to be destroyed. This is the description of the battle that we are in as human beings. And God says, You need to know this. This is not a game. You might be a teenager, you might be a child, you need to know this is no game. There is a war. You may be young, and you may be immature, and you may only see fun things. But ultimately, someone is trying to grab your ankle and pull you down the vortex and destroy you. And he has an army, and his army uses cell phones and uh, beautiful women And seductive relationships and things like alcohol or fame and pleasure of all sorts. It can use whatever turns you on. Becomes a tool that Satan is in his toolbox and he will begin to use that and suck you into the vortex. And before you know it, you think you can get out. But it's going to take the power of God to get you out or you will be destroyed. That is the teaching of this book. This is what we're in. This is not a game. And if it feels like a game, then that just proves that you are blind. Earlier in Corinthians, we learned about Satan's ability to blind people's eyes. And it could be that you're sitting in this room here right now and you are blind to the reality of the danger. You're dancing around the rim. Getting sucked in and Satan already has his hand around your ankle. And you're not resisting. You think you're in control and he's getting ready to yank you down in there. And God is telling us, wake up and fight for people who are dancing around the rim. This is the gospel call. We must understand the severity of what we're doing. We're trying to rescue people who are self-destroying themselves and an enemy pulling them down into self-destruction. And they don't even know it. They don't even... They laugh at the idea. And this is what God has called us to understand. There's another book that I have that I read and it's called The City of God it's by a a guy named Augustine Augustine of Hippo Hippo was a a place in North Africa and Augustine lived around 350 to 420, something around, something like that. He lived a long time ago and early in the existence of the Christian world, he began to understand spiritual warfare and he wrote a book called The City of God and the city of God is the kingdom of God and it's in contrast to the city of man and that's the kingdom of this world and God ran the city of God and runs the city of God and Jesus is king in the city of God and the city of man is run by men but it's also the head over where the city of man is Satan. And you have this great contrast and this great conflict. And the city of God and the city of man are very different than one another. And people who are in the city of man don't even acknowledge the city of God, but the people who are in the city of God acknowledge both. People who are the city of God have eyes open to realities that the people who are in the city of man do don't knowledge, And that's the way the world is. There are many people in the world that live in this world. They only see this world and they don't see and understand that there is a spiritual reality. A Christian sees both. Augustine presents human history as a conflict between the earthly city, the city of man, Satan's kingdom, and the city of God, God's kingdom. A conflict that is destined to end in victory for Jesus, the great king. And we know that. Praise God. The city of God is marked by people who forego earthly pleasure. That takes power. Because I came into this world... Pursuing with missile like intensity, pleasure. I had a pleasure sensor would go off when things would lights would shine and taste were good and smells and sounds and feel. I have a sensory possessor. Uh, wait, what is it? What is it? There we go. Caleb came in. Claire, way to go, Claire. I knew he married well. Okay. <laughs> We have sensory perceptors and they gravitate toward what attracts us. It attracts sensual things. And until God begins to show us that our our natural inclination, the lust of the flesh is going to lead us astray, then we are vulnerable. The city of God, however, is marked by people who forego earthly pleasure to dedicate themselves to the eternal truths of God now revealed fully in the Christian faith. The earthly city, on the other hand, consists of people who have immersed themselves in the cares and pleasures of the present passing world. So you have one group of people who live only for this world. They might claim they're religious. Truth of the matter is, they're really not that interested in religion. They see it as kind of a safeguard, a ticket to heaven. That's kind of like, ah, a little religion. I'll dabble in religion if it'll get me safe into heaven at the end. But I want to enjoy the pleasures of this world. And God begins to work and move in such a way that you see these spiritual realities. I, I, I want to I read this little section in this book. And... I'll give you an example of what um, Chip Ingram experienced when he went to his new place of ministry in California. Um, He said uh, he moved to an environment where the occult, New Age beliefs and cults were so common the ads on coffee shop bulletin boards included how to cast spells. How to contact your spirit guide. And Warlock Coven meets 7 p.m. Monday nights. And he says, My intellectual understanding of key biblical passages was woefully inadequate for the issues we were facing. It was easy to find quality in biblical information about spiritual warfare that was rooted in the meaning of words, tense of verbs, how the armor of God was a metaphor Paul had derived from a Roman soldier, but application was almost non-existence. In other words, we had danced around these topics, but there was no real sense of how to use God's truth in the midst of a frightful, often bizarre experiences we were facing. On the other hand, there was an equally plentiful array of resources that were highly experiential when it came to this subject. Like were, there was teaching he wasn't aware of before. And he said, they described conversations with demons, extreme manifestations of spiritual world, anecdotal answers for which I could find very limited, if any, biblical basis. So he would see one extreme, maybe another extreme, and he said the reason he wrote this book is because he felt like there were a lot of people that either on one extreme didn't acknowledge these spiritual things, or on the other extreme, maybe they um, carried it in an unhealthy direction. And then he described what began to happen in his ministry. He said, he began to describe his new church culture where witches are actively praying against you. And a horse's head is placed on a stake. A literal horse's head is placed on a stake across from your church to cast a spell on it. Um, and he began to describe satanic opposition in ways he had never experienced before. And he began to see things that he had never seen before. And I to here's what I want to say to you. If you are familiar with um, satanic practices or strategies, if you've been involved, and maybe some of you, I've never heard anyone say, but I hope you're aware that there are people who openly worship Satan. I don't know what world you live in. There are people who are very zealous in the occult, there are people who are very visceral toward Christianity. And there are people who are demon-possessed. And there are what this passage calls strongholds. If you were in the satanic world, you would know that the beautiful vacation spot of Boulder, Colorado is known as a haven for the occult. If you were in a certain circle, you would know about the dark things that can happen in New Orleans. You would understand that there's a spiritual warfare taking place in San Francisco. You would understand that there are evil forces and there are people who are completely committed, knowingly committed to serving, and they have literally sold their souls to Satan. I know a lady. I occasionally have the opportunity to go to Life Challenge, which is the sort of a female counterpart to Men's Challenge. And about two months ago, at one of the Bible studies, and I'll lead chapel there on occasion... And the lady began to cry and I had shared some things with them and she began to cry and she said, I don't, and I was sharing the gospel with them and talking and we were talking about how the gospel impacts people's lives and she broke down and began crying and she says, I don't know that I can be saved. And I said, well, what, do you, what do you mean? And she said, because I sold my soul to Satan. She said, I, I, when I was younger, I literally gave my soul to Satan. And she said that started when I started down a dark path of drugs, um, using her body for sex uh, to get drugs, and a pathway that was so dark. And she had been there at that program for six weeks, and she said, I can't pray. I get awakened in the night, and I'm sleeping, and I get awakened, and fear strikes me, and I feel the presence of evil. When the Bible is read... During their devotional time, she says, I feel like I'm getting pulled away. She says, I feel like something is inside of me, clawing me. And she wept. And she began and she cried and she says, I don't know that I can be saved. And I said, well, then can, can we pray for you right now? And can we pray for you in the name of Jesus? And ask Jesus to come into your life and deliver you. I said, I believe that you are experiencing demonic possession. And we're going to pray for you. And we gathered around her and we laid hands on her and we prayed in the name of Jesus for her to be delivered. And she wept. And I keep going back there. And the next time I went back there, I said, how are you doing? She says, I'm getting better. She said, I can sleep. She said, I'm still struggling and I still feel like I'm trying to learn and understand the gospel. But I don't feel that oppressive spirit on me anymore. Somewhere, someone told her how to pray to the devil. Someone told her and taught her how to sell her soul to Satan. And she had done this. There are strongholds in every community. There are strongholds in Jackson County. There are places you can go. Missionaries will tell you about places that are so dark that they feel a presence of evil that almost feels like something sitting on them. That the dark power is so powerful. I'm not talking about wacky, crazy people. I'm talking about people that will come and stand in our pulpit and we would listen to them and we would say that person loves God so much we would be moved by the depth of their spiritual love for God. And they will describe to you places they've been, settings they've been in. I can describe to you, I could take you in places in Jackson County that would make your skin crawl. I could take you up streets and up into neighborhoods where almost everyone back in that neighborhood is a drug dealer. And they are getting arrested over and over again. God was using me to reach someone several years back. And I walked with this man several years before he died. And we would go places, and I would have to go pick him up in places. And there were times where he would call me on the phone, and he got spending the night stuck at a drug dealer's house, and he would call me. And I remember the feeling and the overwhelming sense that I would feel a a mile out, a quarter mile. Closer I got to that presence, I knew what I would find there. I knew what was going on there. I knew it was a drug house. I knew it was a dark place. I knew the sheriff of our ch- uh, town used to go to our, uh, our previous sheriff, goes to our church here. He told me stories about that neighborhood. I understood. There are places you can go in Cherokee. There are dark roads and dark places you can go in Cherokee and you will not feel safe there. And it's not because of the people. It's because of a presence. There are places you can go in these mountains and you'll find places that will end up being meth labs. Child pornography goes on in Jackson County. There are people who are filming child pornography in Jackson County. There are people that will get arrested for the most hideous crimes you can ever imagine. Where is the root of that? It's Satan. Satan is at work and he has strongholds. There are places where drugs are dealt. There are places where um, people fall into all kinds of dark things. And the gospel of Jesus Christ can break these barriers and deliver people. Some of you in this room have been delivered from such things and such places. We have people sitting in our church who if you knew their story, you would be amazed because you would be thinking, I always thought you were like you are now. Praise God that none of us are what we were. And thank God that we're not finished and we're not what we're going to be. But in the meantime, we're in a war. And we're going to ask God to make us more mindful and attentive to the war that is taking place for the sons and daughters of man. The sons and daughters of Adam need to be saved so that they can become the sons and daughters of God. That's why we are here. That's why this church exists. And we're praying and asking God to take us deeper in understanding what the real mission is for our church. Okay? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. The only thing I want you to get from this message today is I want you to go back and study verse 3 to 6. I want you to read it. I want you to try to understand it. I want you to believe it. I want you to begin praying, Lord God, what do we do now? What do we do from here? Where have we been kind of missing the ball? Where do we need to be more engaged? And will you lead us? I think God is summoning us. I will say this, I don't think anyone will disagree with this. It makes perfect sense that the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more we're going to see iniquity rising. The more we, sooner it is for the Lamb to come, the more we're going to see the serpent stick his ugly head up. I think we're living in such a time Therefore, it should be no shock, it's unthinkable that Christians would be walking around unaware of the spiritual realities that are taking place. And we're going to ask God to continue to open our eyes and help us to see what to do and to equip us that we might take hold of these spiritual weapons and engage. And I'm totally fine if you want to go somewhere else. But by God's grace, that's what we're going to do here, okay? I don't have a map to know what it's going to look like. I just know we need God to engage because people are being destroyed. And some of those people, I'm going to tell you, some of those people are going to be your sons and daughters. So you better jump in. Because Satan is after your children. He's coming after your grandmother, your grandfather. He's coming after your brother, your sister. He's coming after everyone to kill, steal, and destroy. And in the name of Jesus, we can say, no, Satan. And we can offer the salvation of God to people. And that's what we're asking God. Lord, show us how to engage. Equip us for this battle. Give us courage. And it may be costly. But that's why we're here, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for these things and teach us to trust You, to love You, to walk with You. I pray, God, that You would take this and apply it to each person where they need it. If there's anyone here that's never really fully relinquished the kingdom of darkness and they have never fully acknowledged that they are lost and need Christ. I just pray, God, if someone here is in a stronghold of any kind, would you just break it today and lead anyone here who needs to come to faith in Christ and they need to confess their sin and just say, Lord, have mercy upon my soul and save me. And then I pray, God, as a church, that you would lead us into action. Deliver us. um, Equip us. Prepare us, God. We want to be engaged in this work and this great mission of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. As we close, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And I want you to ask God. I want you to respond in the way that is appropriate to you. And I'm going to pray that if... I'm just going to ask you in the first service I did this. I'm going to do this in the same service as well. If you are ready to engage for God, then I want you just to come forward and come up here and pray. That's fine. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you are willing... Sometimes I think it helps people to see with their own eyes how God is speaking in the people's lives and hearts. So if you want to, I want you to come up here. And then as you come up here, I want you to pray with someone, grab someone, make a little circle, pray by yourself, call out to God. If you have a stronghold that needs to be broken, then just lay that before God and say, Lord God, will you break this stronghold in my life right now? But as we sing, you can sing if you want, or you can just turn to God in prayer. And I would love to see people coming up here and just praying and saying, Lord God, will you lead us? There's a great price to be paid and people are lost and destroying themselves. Will you help us to be part of the great work of the mission of the gospel? Will you equip our church and lead us forward? If you feel that God is engaging with you to be part of that, then I invite you to come forward, bring someone with you and pray. And let's ask God to lead the way for us that we might see strongholds broken. In Jesus' name, amen.